Hello, welcome back to Sermon Notes. This is Garland, and I've got Michael with us, a regular feature on yes. Sermon Notes. Hey, Michael. Yeah, I never leave. I just stay we here just, until yeah, we just it's sit time here for another episode. We little room down here in Fayette Kids. Um, and then we've got with us today Josh Pankey. Um, and so he'll be a new voice on here, but one you might hear uh, more regularly moving forward. Uh, Josh is now uh, our team leader for our FSM team here at the Fayetteville campus. And uh, before we dive in here... Uh, hey, introduce yourself. Tell everybody where you're from and uh, you know what you're excited about with FSM moving forward. Yeah, Garland Michael, thanks. First time, long time. Um, <laughs> I'm from, so uh, my name is Josh. I'm from Blytheville, Arkansas, or from East Arkansas. Beautiful. Yeah. Been here for 10 years now, though, uh, me and my wife. And uh, I've spent the last four years working at Celebrate Recovery with the student ministry, the landing there, and started with FSM in Fayetteville back in April. So, yeah. Replacing the one and only Thaddeus Tad Moore, um, who's uh, who's rolling off, and we're excited for him as well. Uh, but dude, it's it's good to have you down. We've already had some fun Thanks. conversations. Um, and what people might not know, um, if you're new to fellowship or uh, maybe you just didn't know this, if you've been around a long time, uh, our student ministry. You know, we meet uh, every week, and we have student ministry over there in the FSM room, and have for years. And what I love about our student ministry is um, we're over there teaching the Bible and uh, trying to. Uh, learn what it means to to worship Jesus and to do small group and uh, to do life in the context of discipleship and community. So um, just as y'all been studying First Peter so far, what's been some of the takeaways thus far over in the student ministry room? What's well, it? First Peter has been a lot of fun and it's been a lot of fun. Our team walking through the me, Isaiah and Caroline, uh, just kind of chewing on one, the idea of what it's like to be an exile, but specifically trying to figure out what it's like to be an exile as a high school or junior high student. And that was a really fun thing to just unpack with them. This idea of, uh, I think this this one wanting to be for this community. We love Fayetteville and Northwest Arkansas, and think God loves it even more than we do. But just the idea of the students may feel strange. I think you used that language the other day, Garland. They may feel strange. They may feel different. But that's actually a good thing in this community. And so, what it's like to feel out of place, but what it's like to live that out. And so, we've been kind of exploring that with students in different passages and wrestling with the different parts of what that looks like. And I like this section because we really get the opportunity to talk really practically over the next couple of weeks of what that looks like to live that out in really specific relationships. So that's what it's looked like a lot. Uh, really, we are usually walking through the exact same passages that you guys are in the FSM room um, and just trying to invite students both to, to wrestle with some of those hard stuff that you guys are wrestling with on Sunday morning, but to see what it's like to behold Jesus and live that out in our communities. Well, uh, you're here because we're teaching the same passage, like you just yep, said. Right. So in Sunday morning, uh, we'll have a, a sermon being taught on First Peter chapter 2, picking it up in verse 11. Just to sit, set the scene for us a little bit, we're coming off this sort of crescendo passage in 2, especially in 5 and following, as Peter tells his audience, you are the, the temple. You're the place where the city can see where the divine and human come together. You're living stones. There's all this amazing stuff, the story of the Old Testament coming together in this people who once were not a people, but now are the people of God. And there's a major transition here. And so, uh, you know, if you're uh, at least uh, not driving right now, listening to this, and you got your Bible out, you can double underline. Um, in, in the NIV, it says, dear friends. This is one of Peter's rhetorical devices. They'll do the same thing over in chapter four. Uh, we might say it marks uh, kind of a, a narrative or literary unit. And so we're beginning a new unit. What I wrote in my Bible just is this. Um, this is the spiritual house, the temple of God. He's painted this picture. And then I just wrote, what kind of temple is this? 
and then uh, put an arrow from the temple language up down to verse 11 and follow. And now, okay, what does that look like? So uh, where are we going this week? What is Peter now going to instruct us? And Michael, why don't you lead us off here? Yeah, so uh, I'm using the ESV. Um, instead of dear friends, it says beloved. And yeah. um, obviously both good translations. But I do like that idea that he's just said, you're a holy nation. You're a royal priesthood. You're a, you're a temple made from living stones. And then he says, and you're loved. And so in view of all that, he's going to urge us to something. And it's interesting here. Um, Josh and I spent a little time talking about this. He uses a word that he hasn't used, I don't think yet in the letter and the word in the ESV, it's sojourners. He says sojourners and exiles. What's the NIV say there, Garland? That's in foreigners, verse 11. Yeah, foreigners, foreigners and exiles. Exile. The word sojourner is really rich in the, in the biblical narrative, going back to the Old Testament. And I spend a little time just, this is the kind of thing we talk about on sermon notes. I'll probably just touch on it in the actual sermon. But um, the idea of someone who is from another place residing among people temporarily, someone who's not assimilated into the culture where they live. And man, as I just kind of spent an hour one day just looking at sojourners and thinking about that, um, the, the rich freight of biblical history that that word brings into this passage um, really opens it up. And, and so we are sojourners. We're not to be fully assimilated into the culture. And Josh, you and I talked about this a little bit. He starts off with, with a negative. He says, abstain or distance yourself from passions of the flesh that war against your soul. And man, that's a, that's a youth pastor's uh, teaching point, if I ever heard one. That's the only uh, teaching point I heard <laughs> in youth ministry growing up. Um, but it's that, that word even, talking about those passions is really interesting. And I've been spending some time today even looking at that word. Uh, I'm going to mess this up. Epithminion. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but just this idea of fleshly lust as it gets translated somewhere. Uh, other places, though, it gets used in this, just this idea of over overwhelming desires. And Tim Keller will call it just these over desires. Mm -hmm. And we spent a little bit of time a couple passages ago just talking about that idea of what these sinful desires are and how sin takes good things that God's given, good needs that we have, and just corrupts those things and leads us in places where we wind up pursuing things or trying to satisfy those needs in different ways. Uh, I think for high school students, those things can be relationships and this need for really good and healthy, loving relationships, but finding that through peer pressure and through trying to please different friend groups and that kind of thing, your performance, trying to do that in sports or academics or band, whatever that might be. And whatever, but even for, I think, adult listeners pursuing that in work and that kind of thing, these over, these good desires becoming uh, greater than they're supposed to be, that root of idolatry just becomes this thing that, after these people living in Asia Minor, uh, Peter's telling them to pull out of that and to put their eyes back on Jesus. And that's going to reorder how they're supposed to live out in these other ways. Um, now, I, we spent a lot of time talking about that and even going back to that idea of sojourners, that, that word. Uh, I, the thing I get caught up a lot in is he's inviting Gentile believers into this narrative that Israel's walked through. And going back to the passage before, they're now Gentiles and, uh, and Jewish believers are now one family in Christ. And I think we sometimes, I don't know, I sometimes forget that I have been grafted into this family in the story. Yeah. And just that he's inviting me into this abundant life is just a really cool picture that they're getting by to. But no, and wage war against your soul, it's not at all a passive idea. So I think these 
things that I start, wind up pursuing, whether it's success or uh, approval from other people, whatever those things that become those little gods for me, I think they're just side missions in my life, but those things are corruptive and corrosive and really damaging to our spiritual lives. And I wanted to spend the whole time talking about that because that was just <laughs> one word that it, I feel really convicted from that, mm-hmm. but yeah. there's so much more in it. Yeah, man, that's good. And then Garland verse 12, I was going to ask you to speak into this. The ESV says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. And I do want to talk about that word honorable, but I think that word conduct, anastrophe, that's a word that you talked about. Yeah. yeah, yeah I wanted you to just remind mm-hmm. us about that a little bit. Yeah. Anastrophe is a, it's a really regular Greek word used a lot in philosophical literature. Um, it's in the Bible a lot. It's going to be over in chapter three when he talks to wives, it's all over this book. And Peter seems concerned with their anastrophe, their conduct, their behavior, manner of life, way of life. Um, and it's an interesting word. He picks up a word from the culture that I think he's then saying, you want to know what a, a real wise life looks like and he's going to describe it and it's not going to look like any life that anybody in the ancient world would have wanted to live this sort of exiled dishonored but honored uh life and so um it's it's noteworthy i think that he picks up on that word it literally means uh to, to turn upwards and so like uh what i described a few weeks ago was it's a life turned oriented to something and so usually it's a set of principles or ideals um, that would govern my behaviors. And so the Greeks were trying to figure out in the Romans what that looked like. And Peter says, oh, I got it for it. I got the answer for you uh, right here. Um, and so, yeah, he's concerned with their anastrophe, their behavior. Um, and part of that's going to come with some with some negative culturally, we might right. say. And we see that there in verse 12. Yeah. Um, I do like, before we jump to that, just that he says, Keep your anastrophe, your manner of life among the Gentiles. Mine says honorable, but that word really means beautiful. And when I think about, like I think about my kids, my kids are between 19 and 24 years old. Um, Man, the idea of a beautiful life, a life that looks beautiful to those who are looking at your manner of life. I think that really resonates. I think um, Peter's on to something here. That's what we all want. We all want a beautiful life. And and he says um, that people will see your good deeds and glorify God. He doesn't say today. He says on the day of visitation. Um, Josh, where are you going with that day of visitation? I've been doing some thinking about that. Where are you landing? I just, I love this idea that the day of visitation, um, I'm just, I don't know, the idea that our lives themselves just wind up being this testimony. And he's going to then paint out the specific ways that our lives become this testimony. But the idea that all of Scripture is pointing to this culminating moment where Jesus makes all things right, and then the very way we live our lives isn't just something that um, is meant to, a couple weeks ago we talked with students that sometimes this idea of holiness leads to if we apply it wrong, leads to self-loathing, this idea that I'm not good enough, that I can't uh, beat these sinful inclinations I have, whatever they are, or it leads to self-righteousness, this idea yeah. that um, I'm doing way better than someone else is, or I'm sinning differently than someone else. And true holiness in this living is, does not lead to either of those things. And instead, it leads to abundant life for us and life for our neighbors that we can invite them to see so something about the way we're living should invite them into this grand narrative that God's writing, and we get to be a part of that. Yeah. So, Michael, I'm going to set you up here because um, I, I want to hear your take on this. But, uh, you know, coming to, we come to sermon notes, you know, somewhat for stuff that we, we can't talk about in the sermon because we just ran out of time or some, just some grammatical features. Just note this if you're, you know, paying attention back home. Uh, major transition, obviously, 211, beloved, dear friends. 
I urge you. So he's moved into a new unit. And really, verses 11 and 12, we might say, are the, the introductory principle to that unit. And he's right. going to introduce that. Then he's going to, in a sense, we might say, he's going to introduce multiple ways that plays out. And right. those are all going to play out in ways where, at least in their culture, you might face... <laughs> Some unjust circumstances, some difficult circumstances. He's going to get really into the weeds of real life here. He's going to talk to those living in a, a underneath a government that is unjust and not doing what it should. He's going to talk to slaves who are being poorly treated by masters. He's going to talk to wives who find themselves struggling in the midst of a marriage where they are worshiping a different god than their than their husbands, and that puts them in a place of disadvantage and maybe even a place where they might get abused. Uh, then he talks to husbands, and you can see that finally in chapter three, verse eight, the word "finally" or to sum up. Up, that can, that begins his conclusion of this section. So he gets way down in the weeds, but he intros it with two eleven and twelve. This idea um, that I think can surprise many of us. Like, what, what, what are you going to do with that? This living such good lives, yeah. but they might accuse you of doing wrong. But you have the good. What does that look like? For yes, us? yeah. I think you know when we look at verse twelve, he says, "Your manner of life should be honorable, beautiful, desirable, so that when they speak evil." or speak against you as evildoers. And so it's not if, it's when. Like, it should be expected. And so as we're following Christ, just like these people in first century Turkey, um, following Christ, um, there's going to be some people that don't like it. They don't like our values. They don't like um, the, the things that we say as far as what's right, what's wrong, what the Lord expects of us. But the flip side is, they'll see your good deeds. And so it's a life that is at once repulsive because we hold to truths that go against what the culture says, but at the same time, it's somehow attractive that um, people see how we live and they think, I don't like everything they stand for. And I don't like some of the things they say and some of the things they say we shouldn't be doing that I like to do, but man, it's really hard to run them down because of how they live and how they treat other people. Mm -hmm. I think, is that what you're kind of... Yeah, so let's, let's take those two words. You use the word repulsive and attractive. Um, and I think this is where it can be... Uh, this is where we get really down to brass tacks about each of our, each of our lives and how we look in, cult, in our culture. If we are only one of the two of those... You know, and I, and I think we referenced this in our intro one on this. Uh, you know, Tim Keller, uh, who just passed away recently, uh, had a, a, a similar idea than this. If you're only repulsive but never attractive, then... I think we're not living the way of the exile. If we are only attractive, you know, people only see in us. Now that sounds exactly like the culture. Yeah, you fit in, but never offensive, never repulsive. We, they never go, but you stand for something way different than us. Then we're not living the way of the exile. Maybe worse yet, if you're neither, you know, if our way of living as, you know, foreigners and exiles, expats is never different nor attractive, then we might have to start questioning, are we even really following Jesus right. as our king? And I think you, you said it really well. You said it's not, it's, it's not if, it's when they, like there are going to be points, this is the reason we're doing this First Peter series, to follow Jesus will necessarily put us at times at odds with the prevailing culture. But also to follow Jesus should lend our lives to such a you know, beautiful life. People are going, it's pretty cool, actually, and that's that's been a that's been a check on me as I've thought through this, and I thought you said that really well. No, I I think for me, I think of friendships that I've had with someone that 
um, one particular conversation with a non-believer where I, he was, he, they was having a long conversation talking about one particular issue. And then I, and I stopped him toward the end and just said, Hey, you just know, you know, where what I believe about this and just want to clarify. And he said, Oh, I know this. You're, you're one of the good ones. And just having that conversation and realizing that if you go about this the right way, if love is the thing that you're leading with, then people give room for those conversations and be able to meet people in those spaces. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of it has to do with, uh, yeah, uh, when I think of students going into these places, when they're in FHS or whatever school they're in, and they're trying to figure out how to navigate those things, that exile feeling uh, can feel really lonesome. But when we realize that this is like a category of living with Jesus, then maybe it's not a bad thing to feel out of place sometimes. Yeah. Embrace the weird. Yeah. yeah, embrace the weird. Seventh and eighth graders feel that a lot, and they immediately want to diagnose it. But sometimes it can just be a result of doing the right decisions. And I think that's that's something that was a, a check for me is sometimes when I feel out of place, immediately I'm thinking this is awkward, I'm doing something wrong. But sometimes that feeling is just a result of making mm-hmm. the right choices, which is strange. On the spot here, Michael, and then I want your, your, your student ministry version take of this. So I'll put you on the spot here. We got a whole section here, 13 to 17. Talk about the government. Yeah, let's grab it. Yeah, yeah, there's some people, <laughs> listen to this, baby, um, going, what are we going to do with that? Uh, and so there, there it is on the page. It's, it, I, I think it probably, like it strikes me initially as, if I'm being honest, pretty convicting um, because right. of the, the manner I think oftentimes that, that I tend to uh, just, just speak very cynically or speak very sort of uh, callously. Um, where are you going with that? What yeah. do you want to do with that here? So you mentioned a moment ago, 11 and 12 intro, and then he's going to give us, I would say there's three big headings. Um, there's the, how do we interact as exiles in the realm of citizenship is the first one. And then the second one is going to be master slave. We might say employer, employee, even though that's not really what the text is. And then in the home, husband, wife. So the first one, um, how do we live as sojourners and exiles um, as citizens. And the very first phrase in verse 13 is be subject, or it could be translated submit yourselves. And so we're called to submit ourselves. And then he gives us some specific examples, the emperor or governor sent by him. And then he tells us the why in 15, for this is the will of God, which we don't see that super often in the New Testament. This is God's will for you, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. And so by, as believers, when we submit to a government, even that might be unjust, even that might be oppressive. Like Nero. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know if we could, with intellectual honesty, say we've had an American president worse than Nero. (laughs) And that's who was more than likely ruling when Peter wrote this. We know specifically, he says, governors. Well, one governor comes to mind, Pontius Pilate. Mm -hmm. He didn't respect Christianity, to say the least. Um, And yet, we also know God was using them, right? And so, for us as believers to um, be subject to, to submit ourselves to a government that maybe is not the government that we, in our context, voted for. It's not the guy we would choose. Um, how do we talk about him or them, um, the, those in power over us, um, especially with our non-believer friends? And are we living subject to the government in such a way that through our good deeds, we silence 
people who want to critique us. Um, yes, it's been very convicting for me because like all of us, I have political opinions and sometimes um, I run my mouth when I should be listening. You? <laughs> <laughs> I would never encourage that even <laughs> in our own personal interactions. <laughs> so yes, it's definitely convicting, um, especially, and I know I want to give Josh a chance to speak into it, but I do want to just pick up 16. Live as people who are free. Oh, as Americans, we love that verse. Freedom. Give me that freedom. Using your freedom not as a cover-up for evil, uh-oh, but as servants of God. And so we're free, yes, as believers, but we're free to serve God, not to serve ourselves, not to meet our own ends. And I think for some of us, our political ends become so important to us that a lot of the other things that we believe and that we would affirm in Scripture go out the window, especially with the way we speak, the way we speak about people. We think, think about things that maybe we post online. Um, would we say that to that person's face? Would we say that to that person's face if Jesus was standing next to us? I don't know. Um, but, yeah, it's definitely been convicting for me. To have that last line, a little... little uh... Uh, four line that ends verse 17, um, show respect to everyone, love the believers, fear God. To hear, to be a Roman uh, Jesus follower living in ancient Asia Minor and maybe feeling some social ostracism and fear, to have that line and honor the emperor. Uh, I, I got to think there's a gasp in the room as they read this. Really, Peter, you want us to do that? But I think Peter can go, listen, guys, I got it wrong. I pulled out a sword that night and I was, I didn't get it. Don't you get it? He just came off this crescendo of what we are in Christ. He's going to build to another one of those. I think Peter, it took him a while, but I think he's got it now. And thus he can say something like that, even when they know who's sitting on the throne. Um, right. Psycho Nero. Uh, take us to the student world on that. Yeah, I think students have to hear about that political angle of that too. One is uh, the, the assumption that this is an evil government, and P Peter's going to refer to this as Babylon at the end of this book. This is the idea that he is understanding where these these believers are, what government they're under. And so for students, I think one of the things that we're talking to him is about how to engage that in a godly way. I love how you bring up that idea of freedom. Just because we should say or can say something doesn't always mean we should. Or even if we feel like maybe there's something to say, there's a really good opportunity for life-giving thing we, that comes with this freedom. And so when it comes to this life of living a holy life, when it comes to political things, that's something we want our students to hear is just as they learn to engage in those kinds of things in the next couple of years, that there is a godly way of doing that. And on one hand of things, Christians should be called to care way more and far more about the well-being of others. So these issues should mean so much to us, but there should come a freedom for the hope we have in Christ that uh, we don't have to stoop to the world's levels and those things. But there's a lot of other authority figures we talked about um, for students. The thing that kept coming up was the substitute teacher in our conversations. <laughs> I don't even want to think about my conduct <laughs> to teachers. That would be too convicting for me. <laughs> if there are teachers from a Marion High School or Marion Elementary Bentonville schools, High of the early 2000s, I apologize. Hey, hey, Public I, apology. If I could paraphrase from Oh Brother Where Art Thou? Y'all are forgive for that too. <laughs> hey, I do want to, Garland, do, before we wrap up, verse 17, I want to suggest... I want to urge our listeners, and I'm going to call us to this in the sermon, but what would a watching world see if we were a group of people who, look at verse 17, honor everyone, respect everyone. So that's the world. That's our, that's our social lives. What if we were people that we, we, people just knew that we treat everybody with a lot of respect, people we agree with, people we disagree with, people who hate us, mm -hmm. hate everything we believe. We respect them and we honor them. We treat them the way they want to be treated, the way we want to be treated, and 
The next one, love the brotherhood. That's the church. So we love our brothers and sisters in Christ. If the watching world sees, man, those folks, they love each other well. They take care of each other. Um, We fear God. And so that's our spiritual lives, that our spiritual lives matter to us. And what God says matters to us. And we hold that in high regard. And then that last one you pointed out, honor the emperor. We respect the emperor. We give the government due respect as an institution. Um, Yes, it's a human institution, but it was ordained by God for certain purposes, and we recognize that. And so um, I just think verse 17 is a great summary statement that as the world sees our anastrophe, how we conduct ourselves, if we're marked by respect for others, love for each other, um, we fear God and we honor our government, I just think it's going to be hard for people to say negative things about us. They're going to have to really look for something to criticize if that's the kind of conduct that we're known for. Yeah, in fact, it actually forms what we call a bracket or an inclusio even with the word honor. It's the same word in the first and fourth of those four lines there. Um, and so, yeah, I think you're, I think that's so helpful for pointing out and then an honor shame culture that the Roman culture to say, honor everyone. Um, that literally means you're going to step out of the entire way y'all do business. You're going to see everybody in a completely different manner. It's that world changing. Um, that's a lot. That's a big ask, uh, for Jesus's followers and rightly so. Uh, we have a different King. Um, he's the one who gave his life for his people and, uh, made us into a new building, a new temple. And man, that should, we keep saying it. There's some teeth in this letter. It's going to say get used to being weird, but it's called Chosen Exiles. And we have to keep the balance of that. So, uh, Josh, it was great having you on. Uh, We'll have you on again, I'm sure. Um, And as always, thanks for listening to Sermon Notes 